This week on Grape Encounters Radio. So the big question is, if I come, can I be a wine angel? I think I'm too heavy. Done. Nah, free. Done. No, I don't know. How, how much weight will the harness lift? You know, I, I'll have to get back to you on that one. Okay. Peel me a grape. Crush me some ice. Skin me a peach. Save the fuzz for my pillow. And it is time for your weekly grape encounter. And I'll tell you what, there has been so much terrible news out there for all of us to have to digest over the past week or so that I'm going to start this week's grape encounter with a very, very happy story coming to us from Montclair, New Jersey, and a wonderful wine store called Amante Vino. And they've got something going on next weekend, not this weekend, but next weekend, that I think everybody in the wine business business ought to do. It is a celebration of Take Your Dog to Work Day. And on the phone with me is the owner. It is Sharon Severance. Hey, Sharon, welcome to Grape Encounters Radio. Thanks so much for having me. Gosh, I love dog-friendly wine places. We are absolutely a dog-friendly place. My older dog, Rufus, has been with me at work for most of the last 10 years. He's slowing down and starting to retire. And now his baby brother, Brody, is joining me as well. So every day is Take Your Dog to Work Day for him on TV now. Now, wait a second, though. I'm looking at pictures of them, and it looks to me like Rufus is a golden lab and Brody is a black lab. Are they truly brothers or adopted brothers? They're adopted brothers. We say they're brothers from another mother. Okay. All right. And do they love each other? They adore each other. We got Brody two years ago, really with the hopes that he would keep his big brother youthful for as long as possible. And he's done exactly that. They became fast friends and they really have a lot of fun together. It's so funny because I had Wally and Edison, two golden retrievers, and Wally was quite a bit older than Edison. As Wally started to slow down, we really needed to get another golden to keep him company. And, you know, same story. They bond together pretty nicely. Although the younger dog decided he was going to be the alpha dog. I don't know. Anyway, but enough about that. Let's talk a little bit about your store, first of all. You're a full-service wine retail shop, but then you've got this patio area. Area, right? And this is where the dogs hang. Well, the dogs hang inside and out. I opened the store 10 years ago in October of 2005, and I opened with a really small shop, and then in July of 2008, expanded and doubled the footprint of the store. And then four years ago, we opened up patio seating, a Montevino Teca, where people can come buy wine, buy beer. We have snacks as well, and they can sit outside and listen to music and just relax in the sunshine. So crazy because your business is an awful lot like our business. Uh, Most of our listeners know that we also operate a brick-and-mortar wine store called the Grape Encounters Emporium because we just wanted to have a place where our listeners could come hang out and experience the Grape Encounters lifestyle, and so many of them bring their dogs. That's wonderful. Well, you know what? We always talk about pairing food and wine, and we talk about pairing cheese and wine, but I don't think I've ever done a show on pairing dogs with wine. We have such wonderful regular dogs who come in. There's one dog named Winston who actually sits on a big orange chair at (laughs) Vinoteca as if he's a human sitting at the Vinoteca. He's got his own chair. And what kind of wine does he normally order? (laughs) 
He's a beer guy. He, oh, he's a beer guy. Yeah, I guess with the Winston. Okay. But let's talk about Brody and Rufus for a second. Now, are they wine drinkers? No, they do not drink wine. But Rufus actually has his own private labels. He has two wines. He has a Cote de Rhone. We decided that if Rufus was a red wine, he would definitely be from somewhere in southern France. So he's a Cote de Rhone. And he uh, also has a white blend from California, a Verdejo Chenin Blanc based blend. A white blend from California. But it was a lot of fun. We did a call for submissions last year and we got almost 100 artists submitting likenesses of Rufus. That was the only requirement that the image for the label had to look like Rufus. And we divided them into categories. So first by age, 5 through 8, 9 to 12, 13 to 18, and then an adult category. And then we separated them into the white versus the red. And each case of wine has four different labels on it. Oh, how awesome. eight winners. Now, I got to ask you, because I'm looking at Cuvée Rufus, the photograph of that. And Rufus has got something on his head. (laughs) What, What is that? I think you're looking at the Rufus as Bacchus image. Oh, okay. All right. It's hard to see in that small image, but the pictures are on our website as well. And he looks a lot like Bacchus. It's his face and then a Bacchus headpiece and then human arms. Okay. So for a second, I thought he had feathers in his hair like a flapper dancer. And I thought, you know, that's a a little emasculating. (laughs) The poor (laughs) dog, whenever we have our once a year sale, we have Rufus the red dotted dog. We put a big (laughs) red dot on his nose and his picture is put all over the bottles that are actually on sale. That's awesome. Hey, we're talking to Sharon Severance. She is the owner of a Montevino in Montclair, New Jersey, which is about where for those who may not be familiar with New Jersey. We're about 12 miles outside of New York City. Oh, okay. So very close to the big city. Now, uh, here's what I'm curious about. You have a lot of dogs that come to the wine store. Do you see any patterns in terms of the kinds of dogs that come to the wine store. But more importantly, do you see any patterns between the dogs and the kinds of wines their owners or masters drink? That's a great question. So in terms of patterns of who tends to come, we see pretty much every breed and combination of breeds walk into the door. But we do have regulars. There are dogs who literally walk their owners in, regardless of whether their owner wants to purchase a bottle of wine or not. And there are dogs who literally will come by to see Rufus or Brody every single day. Now, do you card the dogs? <laughs> no, we don't. But I promise you that we drop everything and run over to greet the dogs even quicker than we greet our human customers. Do we got special treats for the dogs? We do have special treats for the dogs, particularly on June 24th. But we always have treats and a fresh bowl of water waiting for them. Oh, that's so awesome. Do they do they each get their own bowl of water? Or do they have to share? They share. They okay. Like well, dogs share. are very dog, dogs are very sharing. In fact. My dogs would always share everything that I had to eat, even if I didn't ask them to. (laughs) (laughs) They share toys as well. It's a very friendly place here. But so no patterns that you can think of in terms of the dog breed and the wine preference? No, really, we see lots of different dog breeds and the people associated with them run the gamut from folks looking for a great $10 bottle of wine to serious collectors and everything in between. See, I'm just wondering whether the serious collectors are coming in with, you know, more expensive hoity-toity breeds of dogs. (laughs) 
horizon, not so far. Okay. We could right. track it for you. Though. Yeah, I think you should. I th- you realize now that if you did track this for, say, a, a couple of months and you got some data down, this would be a big story in some place like Wine Business Monthly or something like that. That's absolutely true. You know, it all started because I just didn't have the heart to leave Rufus at home when I opened the shop 10 years ago. And, you know, it's hard to describe over the radio, but my store doesn't look like your typical wine store. It kind of looks like a museum. And I was worried that people were going to think that it was fancy and they would be intimidated. They would be afraid to walk in. But as soon as people looked in and saw they have a dog in their wine store, it kind of put people at ease. And then what I found was that parents would bring their kids in and Rufus babysat the kid while the parents did their shopping. So it was kind of a win-win for everybody. And Rufus got very comfortable here. As I, I think I said, earlier, Rufus probably knows more people in Montclair than I do at this point. Every time I'm out taking him for a walk, people stop us and say, is that Rufus? That's sensational. All right, we have just about a minute left, so give me the lowdown on the Amontevino Take Your Dog to Work Day celebration. It's coming up this coming Friday, June 24th, and and what's going to happen there? So this is the second time that we have attempted a Take Your Dog to Work Day. Last year was very successful. We had probably somewhere around around 40 or 50 dogs come by over the course of a couple of hours. Wow. And we got treats donated by Montclair Feed and Supply in Montclair. And it was a lot of fun. People brought their dogs. They had treats. We opened some wine. And we're expecting even more people to come and visit us this year. We just ask that dogs be on leashes and be well-behaved and friendly with other dogs, of course. We don't want any doggy fights happening. Yeah, you don't want to have to 86 a dog. (laughs) Nah. Yeah, exactly. The dogs will probably spend more time outside at the Vinoteca, and then they'll come in with their human partners to taste some wine at the tasting bar. All right. Well, that sounds wonderful. And, you know, one of the things I just wanted to mention this, we only got a second, but anybody that goes wine tasting at wineries knows you don't go to a winery that doesn't have a dog. Every winery has a dog. It's a big deal. That's absolutely true. There are actually books of winery dogs coming out of California and Australia. You're exactly right. Yes. So, you know what? Let's not think always about just pairing wine with cheese and food. Let's start thinking about pairing wine with dogs. That's it. Absolutely. So we ask everyone who brings their dog to a Montevino to use the hashtag Dogs of a Montevino on Instagram. And we're starting a collection of doggy friends. All right. And is there any place for more information if anybody wanted to attend? We've got a, a lot of East Coast listeners. Absolutely. You can go to our website, which is www.amontevino.com. All right. And we'll have information there. Sounds perfect. It's the Amante Vino Take Your Dog to Work Day celebration Friday, June 24th. And that's on Church Street from, uh, what, 5 till 7, right? Correct. All right. Sounds like a lot of fun. If I was in town, I would go rent a dog someplace and I would come. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, nice to have you on. Sharon Severins. She is the owner of Amante Vino in Montclair, New Jersey. What a pleasure. And always love to hear great stories that take the wine experience beyond what it normally is and makes it a great encounter. We'll be back shortly. As most of our listeners probably know, Grape Encounters Radio is based in Atascadero, California, in the heart of the Central Coast wine country. Though we broadcast from all over the world, you have to call someplace home. And we've chosen Atascadero because it's the epitome of what wine country living should be. 
It's also the gateway to a broad range of awesome wine country experiences, including one of the very best wine festivals you'll ever attend. That wine festival is the Atascadero Lakeside Wine Festival, which will be taking place on Saturday, June 25th, but will be preceded by the Mayor's Winemaking Dinner on Friday the 24th and followed by Sunday Fun Day, where local wineries, breweries, and cideries will be offering big discounts and waiving tasting fees when you show your festival ticket. No matter where you are, I think you'll find this an event to really remember, and I will personally be there to visit with you and help you navigate our amazing wine country. For more information, log on to visitatascadero.com. Recently, I discovered a winery whose wines literally rock my world. I was so excited about them, I've relentlessly shared them with wine journalists, renowned sommeliers, and of course, wine enthusiasts. Well, it turns out I'm not the only one who thinks they're magical. They're from the beautiful Cardella Winery in Mendota, California, a tremendously fertile Central Valley location not known for fine wine production. Nonetheless, Cardella's remarkable Barbera, Sangiovese, Ruby Cabernet, and other varietals are absolutely world-class. Now, I take the endorsement of wines very seriously, and in seven years, I've endorsed less than five. Every single Cardella wine that I've tasted is a Grand Slam home run and ridiculously inexpensive. Cardella wines are available at their tasting room and online, provided they can be legally shipped to your state. So go to CardellaWinery.com. Buy them, drink them, and share them. Grape Encounters is 100% estate-grown. We have, however, removed the pretentiousness and added a healthy dose of fun. And we are back with Grape Encounters Radio. I am your humble wine captain, David Wilson. You know, last month I spent practically every day on the road going to all kinds of wine and food events. In between doing countless interviews, I had the pleasure of judging two of the most important wine competitions in America. It was a pretty exhausting schedule, and as the tour neared the end, I have to admit, thanks to a nasty little bug and an overly ambitious schedule, my voice definitely needed a rest. But not before I had the chance to interview the head of food and beverage at one of the largest hotels in the world. So please, forgive my scratchy voice, as it's sometimes more important to get the story than sound sexy. Having said that, I'd like to share with you now that interview recorded at the Sunset Celebration Weekend held in beautiful Sonoma, California. My next guest 
has what has to be the craziest job in the food and beverage industry. Not just because it's the biggest food and beverage job, but because they do some pretty crazy things at the Mandalay Bay Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Sarah Johnson, what in the world? Seriously, this has got to be the most ginormous food and beverage job in the entire world. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty big, yeah. I mean, I've been to the Mandalay Bay a zillion times. The place is so incredibly huge. This job has got to be way up there, right? Uh, well, we have around 4,200 rooms, rooms, 52 different independent moving little parts in food and beverage for outlets. It's a lot of bars. Yes. And we have 2.1 million square feet of banquet space. And so we'll feed, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for 16,000 people. So where does that put you in the grand scheme of things here in this country? In my mind, we are uh, clearly number one. Ah, okay. <laughs> oh. All right. But from a space perspective for a convention business, we are fifth. Okay. So let's start with the story of how you got this job, because this may be the craziest story I have ever heard in my <laughs> life. I mean, we're talking about, I mean, if you've not been to Vegas, and if, especially if you've not been to the Mandalay Bay, then you have no idea about the scale that we're talking about. I mean, this is the grandest scale that you can possibly have in the world. Yeah. I often refer to it as the big leagues for F&B. Yeah. For sure. Exactly. So I went to culinary school in Portland, Oregon. I grew up, you know, on a farm outside of a tiny town in central Washington You're state. You're a farm girl. Yes, sir. Oh. Kittitas, shout out. So I went to Las Vegas. I'd never been there. So it was sight unseen for an internship from culinary school at Western Culinary in Portland, yeah. Oregon. I planned on three months. I was just going to go. You know, I cared little for Vegas because I knew nothing about it. But coming from Portland to Vegas, you know, it's like opposite. So I was going to do my three months and then head back home. And uh, it's been almost 13 years. 13 years. So how do you go from intern to the head of F&B? Because, I mean, that's the dream job in this world. And it's a pretty you've got to imagine that there were a lot of people that would have cut off limbs to have that job. Sure. I will argue, though, that I do have a boss. So vice president of food and beverage might be the dream job. Mine is the penultimate. Okay. All right. That said, you know, I landed. I've been very fortunate. I landed at the right time. This was October of 2003. So I I moved up fairly quickly in the four seasons. I did a kind of chef tournant gig. And then by that time, I'd already decided I was going to, you know, I thought I was going to go to New York, spend a year working there, and then do Europe, which is kind of a classic, you know, cook's track. But Alain Ducasse was building a restaurant at the top of what was then called The Hotel, which was right next door. You know, it's in the Mandalay campus. And so the opportunity to work with a world-class chef was just feet away. And so instead of going to New York, I stayed in town. I worked for Alain Ducasse and just kept getting more opportunities, you know. And then we're talking 2005, 2006, you know, money was falling from the sky. Fine dining was descending upon Las Vegas and beautiful big things were happening. There was so much talent around. And, you know, I just kept my eyes open and my mouth shut and worked as hard as I could. And whenever anybody gave me an opportunity, I said, yes, please. And so I've, I've been very fortunate in that. All right. So I've got to ask because there's a tremendous amount of great wine in Las Vegas, right? Stockpiles. There is. Yeah. yeah en enough to probably feed a thirsty world, right? Like millions of bottles. Okay, let's let's yes, let's go, millions let's go of that bottles. far. Okay. How much of that wine is being consumed by people? I mean, I'm talking about the great wine, though. How much of the great wine is being consumed by people who know they're drinking great wine versus people who have had a very good night? 
Ah, yes. I would say more now. You know, food and beverage spend, uh, specifically at Mandalay, but in most of the city, it's, it's been shifting. Food and beverage spend now exceeds gaming spend. So, you know, it used to be 10, 20 years ago where it would, you know, be the, the, the whales, the big gamblers that came in and, you know, made or lost a bunch of money and we gave them, we styled them out. Yeah, we gave them some really gave, sexy gave stuff. Gave the food away, gave the wine away. Beautiful big bottles, exactly. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, but that's, that shifted. So for the most part now, it's, it's people that are intentionally coming and conscientiously purchasing, you know, experiences. So I would say that more so now. So how do you stock, how do you anticipate the wine needs of the people that are coming to the Mandalay Bay. I mean, that's got to just be an incredible task. Or are you getting a lot of requests for things? And is that a big part of the wine acquisition program? And we're going to talk beer, too, because that's a big deal for you as well. Yes. Well, I should definitely mention that Harley Carberry is our brilliant director of wine who um, works with us. And so that's his main focus. But, you know, we have a lot of good history. We've been doing this for a very long time, right? And again, we talk about the big leagues. So primarily go on that. But we also have the opportunity because we have so many, even within Mandalay's campus, we have so many different outlets. You know, we have a centralized wine warehouse that distributes to all of these outlets. And Oriole, for instance, in the wine tower, you know, can have 10,000 bottles. So, right, just so for in those that who tower. are not familiar with the wine tower, this is probably the freakiest, coolest way of storing and buying a bottle of wine on the planet, right? I would agree with that I don't think for there's sure. Any, anything else that comes close, right? Nope. It's okay. a two story wine tower. It is in the center of the restaurant. And when you select a bottle that would be up on the top story, for instance, a wine angel in her harness hooks in and is pulled up, grabs a bottle, and then comes back down. That's actually, I think, the dream job in food and beverage. Oh, really? Okay. You know, mine's good, but now, have, Wine Angel's have, pretty cool. Have you done it? I have not done it. Why not? Well, you know, I'm pretty solidly on team beer. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let's talk a bit more about wine, and then I want to get over to beer. By the way, what are we drinking here? Oh, this is a Goza. It's from a local-ish brewery. I'd actually never had their beer before, but it was over in uh, in Beer Alley, and it's it's a gorgeous style. Yeah, it, very, you know, it was originally very interesting. Brewed, yeah, 16th century in Germany. It was brewed with salt water, and so now a lot of American craft breweries have resurrected the style a bit and thrown some salt in, which is gorgeous for me because I personally don't tend towards super sweet stuff. I like salt and fat, so this has the salt built right in. So which came first, your love of beer or your love of food? Oh, I'd have to say food since my parents, unfortunately, didn't feed me beer at a young age. Ah, I guess I should have thought of that before I asked the question. Duh. All right, we're going to take a little breather. Then we'll be back with the delightful Sarah Johnson, who has one heck of a job as the food and beverage director at the spectacular Mandalay Bay Hotel in the city of a trillion lights, Las Vegas, Nevada. You're listening to Grape Encounters Radio. Living in and broadcasting from one of the world's finest wine regions makes it virtually impossible not to make frequent references to the multitude of amazing things going on here on the central coast of California. Grape Encounters Radio has built one of the world's most unique wine bars so that you can have the opportunity to come to the city of Atascadero and enjoy great wines and equally good conversation with me and other visitors. Best of all, my favorite hotel in the area is literally right across the street, the historic Carlton Hotel with accommodations that are both beautiful and affordable. 
The Carlton Hotel takes you back to a glorious time in California history. And now that the wine industry has ushered in yet another exciting new chapter here on the Central Coast, you can experience the best of then and now. Book your accommodations at the lovingly restored Carlton Hotel in Atascadero. Then, let me help you plan daily excursions that will create a lifetime of unforgettable memories. You'll find a link to the Carlton Hotel at GrapeEncounters.com. A lot of people ask me why Manzanita Manor's incredible Portuguese dessert wine is called Two Horse. Well, the reason behind the name is as extraordinary as the wine itself. It's because the owner and winemaker at Manzanita Manor Organics actually uses two beautiful horses to pull the plow on her farmland. When you take your very first sip of the Two Horse Vineyard's irresistible dessert wine, you'll immediately experience the winemaker's unparalleled connection to the land. It's what really makes it so good. You can purchase this exceptional wine online, as well as their purely delicious walnut oil, 100% organic heirloom walnuts, and free-trade chocolate-covered walnuts. To learn more about all the Manzanita Manor Organics products, visit mmorganics.com. You can order all their walnut products there, and bottles of Two Horse, of course. Purchase and shipping subject to state and local regulations. Please see mmorganics.com for more information. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. We are back with Grape Encounters Radio and my interview with the totally charming and infinitely talented Sarah Johnson, the food and beverage director at one of the world's largest and most famous hotels, the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, if you've never been to the Mandalay Bay, then it's hard to imagine just how big Sarah's job is. But imagine feeding tens of thousands of people every day, and imagine overseeing a wine list that you'd almost need a forklift to move. It's a sobering responsibility. Well, uh, come to think of it, it's anything but sobering. This interview was recorded a few weeks back in the amazing Sonoma wine country at the Sunset Celebration Weekend, where an overabundance of celebration and an insidious bout with a bug rendered my voice a bit weak, but not too weak to bring you this one-on-one with Sarah Johnson. I can't think of a better place to spend the day than in the gorgeous Sonoma sunshine, enjoying a beer with a special visitor from the ultimate city of glitter, glamour, and bright lights. Yes, I do enjoy a great beer once in a while, as does my guest Sarah Johnson, who along with a massive staff can provide guests with just about any beer or bottle of wine imaginable. All right, so Sarah, I'm dying to zero in on just how many wines are available at the Mandalay Bay. Is there a number you can throw at me? Oh, tens of thousands. Tens of thousands? Get out of town. And the beauty of us as well, I mean, Mandalay is a large campus. It's a very big operation. Yeah, and course. so we have all of it, you know, our five, five dining restaurants that have their own stockpiles. And then we have a centralized wine warehouse as well that feeds them. 
but you know we have eight sister properties with MGM Resorts International yeah. and so you know we can we can leverage that and use each other as resources too now let's uh, let's shift to beer for a second because I know you're a beer person beer and wine you know I'm pretty equal opportunity I like spirits okay. as well but right. in my heart of hearts I am team beer so how much beer and food pairing are you doing now versus food and wine pairing well, it's increasing every day. People are asking for it, which is glorious. You know, I've been making a lot of noise about it. So that's truly been my focus is food and beer pairing. Um, we hold a lot of food pairings with beer versus wine, which I think is glorious because it brings some people to the table that might not, you know, think about pairing beer with food. And it's nice to have them side by side as well. You know, it's tough to taste anything in a vacuum. Uh, but when you have beer and wine side by side, we convert a lot of people. You know, we held one just last night. And here in Sonoma, it's a challenge. Like for the very first time in these beer versus wine yeah. experiences, I was a little nervous going into it. I was super outnumbered, but we had some converts for sure. I'm going to be really honest with you. The first time that I did a beer versus wine pairing dinner, I actually voted for the beer. That I doesn't actually, surprise I, me. I actually did. And I think it was probably about a, a, a five-course meal. But when all of it was said and done, more of my votes went to the beer as a better pairing than the wine. But it's not on most people's radar right now. Yeah, and that experience is not uncommon. Yeah. You know, I find that most people do vote that way. And I think there are a couple reasons. One is carbonation, right? So um, sure. carbonation oh, is beautiful. It does wonderful makes things. Sense. It lifts yeah. flavors. You know, it, it cuts through fat. It resets the palate for the next bite. And that's why champagne goes so smashingly with I was everything. Say, that's why, that's why we, we really push bubbly throughout the entire Yep. dinner, which is something that is kind of a new concept in mm -hmm. the culinary world is keep the bubbles on the table. Yep. Yeah. They're not yeah. just for the beginning or the end. Precisely. And yeah. so beer has that advantage. Most beers have that advantage of, of that added carbonation. You know, something, again, we experienced it last night during the beer versus wine dinner. When you pour the wine, you pour the beer first and they're both amazing, right? And you have your bias or just your preference over which glass. Right. Um, and then the food comes out almost invariably, even wine people would say that beer pairs better. And it, it really is that carbonation. Oftentimes it's the acid as well. Because when you have them next to each other, if you were just to experience the wine pairing, it would be highly satisfactory, right? Very fulfilling. Right. But when you have that beer that just, it's livelier, it's brighter, it just makes the wine, sometimes the weight of it just becomes a bit much, right? It kind of yeah. dulls it out and, and yeah, kind of washes yeah, it a bit. I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. So you do this at, at the Mandalay Bay? on a regular basis as we well? We do, yeah. we do. So the big question is, if I come, can I be a wine angel? I think I'm too heavy. Done. Nah, free. Done. No, I don't know. How, how much weight will the harness lift? You know, I, I'll have to get back to you on that one. Okay, that would be, you know what, that would be the ultimate show for me for Grape Encounters would be to, to be strapped into the wine hoist right. and do a segment of Grape Encounters a tethering from the wine tower. That That's pretty attractive. Would you wear the Calvin Klein designed jumpsuit? I think we might stop at the tether. Okay. Yeah, I think we might stop. Parachute, perhaps. Okay. okay. Parachute, right. perhaps. Okay. Hey, listen, so great to have you on. Oh, my pleasure. Well, we're going to come back. We'll just do a whole, we'll do a whole wine and beer thing at the Mandalay Bay. Done. Maybe we should bring some listeners with us. 
Agreed. It's a good idea, Let's right? Let's do it, for yeah. sure. Okay, sounds good. Sarah Johnson, F&B director at the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. And Delano. And Delano, yes. Let's us not forget. Okay. And for anybody that's interested in learning a little bit more about what you offer from a wine and beer standpoint, is that something that you have online? Most like, definitely. Like is, is the wine list there? Uh, we have some lists there, but yeah, check out um, all of our, our food menus. And we have some bios on our website as well for both Harley and myself. Harley Carberry, our wine director, and myself. You can get in touch with us there, mandalaybay.com. Okay. What's the most expensive bottle of wine, to your knowledge, the Mandalay Bay has ever sold? How much money? Oh, Wild guess. Well, we we pair um, at Hubert Keller's restaurant Fleur. You can buy the Fleur burger with uh, an eighty-two Petrus for ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand bucks. Yeah, which is a yeah. steal. It's a steal. Jump change, right? Yeah. Awesome. I don't even get out of bed for less than a million. Ah. What's the most expensive thing you've got in the cellar? Oh, yeesh. Okay. Yeah. That's, we're going to save that question, but you'll show it to me, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't hand it you to can me, though, buy, because no. I, I don't, don't, even, drop I don't it. even touch don't drop things it. like that. Okay. Well, we'll great, great to have you on. A lot of fun. Okay. Thank well, you, We're going to pick this conversation uh, back up at the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. And in the meantime, we're going to have more Grape Encounters, so stay with us. We'll be back right after this. Hey, before we go to a commercial break, I wanted to give a great big thank you to the awesome folks at the Sonoma Valley Inn located in the heart of historic downtown Sonoma, California. They were kind enough to provide me with awesome accommodations at this very pleasant resort just steps away from the quaint boutiques and world-class restaurants that Sonoma's famous for. You know, so often when you visit wine country, accommodations can be very pricey and hard to come by. But the terrific people at this nicely appointed hotel gave me a very thorough rundown of everything this property and event center has to offer, including spacious rooms with fireplaces, large patios, and very comfy beds, all at a very down-to-earth price. The pool and hot tub offered the perfect place to unwind after a tough day of tasting world-class wines. So I'm very pleased to turn you on to this wonderful gem. Check them out, the Sonoma Valley Inn. Google them for more information. When we return, we're going to follow up on a wonderful story I shared with you about a year ago. A top Disney film exec who went from Mouseketeer movie mogul to world-class Cabernet creator after listening to an inspiring episode of Grape Encounters Radio. It's a story you might find impossible to believe, but it's true all the same. And hey, why not? Dreams do come to life in Hollywood after all. The only thing is, I do feel kind of guilty encouraging him to get out of a very prosperous career and getting into a profession that sometimes can be financially disastrous. Unless, of course, you're a guy like Gil Gannon. So give a listen to these important messages, and we'll get Gil on the phone and see how his winemaking career is progressing. For Grape Encounters listeners who also enjoy our podcast, you probably have noticed that it's not been available on iTunes for the past few weeks. That's because iTunes has adopted more stringent policies that made it necessary for us to make a significant number of changes to our podcast feed. 
these changes took a lot more time than we had hoped, but we are very pleased to tell you that the work has been completed and all 350 plus past episodes are there for you to download and enjoy. We hope that you'll take the time to subscribe to our podcast, but also want to remind you that if you ever miss an episode on this station, you can find it at the beginning of the following week at GrapeEncounters.com, the online home of Grape Encounters Radio. There you'll find links to our online store, photos of the folks we interview, links to our favorite content, and a lot more. Grape Encounters is much more than a radio show. It's a lifestyle purely for the love of wine. Visit us at GrapeEncounters.com. Kick off the summer with us in San Luis Obispo Wine Country. Join us for Roll at the Barrels Weekend, June 23rd through 26th. Taste world-class wines and bites from local chefs and vintners at Thursday evening's Barrels in the Plaza with live music by Damon Castillo Band. Then on Friday, indulge at our Taste the Coast Winemaker Dinner. It's adventures in wine country all weekend long with vineyard tours, barrel samples, wine specials, and so much more. Stay in San Luis Obispo and save 20% on tickets. Visit slowwine.com or call 541-5868. That's slowwine.com. Recently, I discovered a winery whose wines literally rock my world. I was so excited about them, I've relentlessly shared them with wine journalists, renowned sommeliers, and of course, wine enthusiasts. Well, it turns out I'm not the only one who thinks they're magical. They're from the beautiful Cardella Winery in Mendota, California, a tremendously fertile Central Valley location not known for fine wine production. Nonetheless, Cardella's remarkable Barbera, Sangiovese, Ruby Cabernet, and other varietals are absolutely world-class. Now, I take the endorsement of wines very seriously, and in seven years, I've endorsed less than five. Every single Cardella wine that I've tasted is a Grand Slam home run and ridiculously inexpensive. Cardella wines are available at their tasting room and online, provided they can be legally shipped to your state. So go to CardellaWinery.com. Buy them, drink them, and share them. We're all guilty of sin. We open a costly bottle of wine and recork it with the intent of drinking the rest later. But later comes and goes, and that delicious wine also goes. South, that is. The Coravin is the most reliable way to enjoy your wine without any concern about the wine going bad. And while a Coravin wine access system costs a little bit more than other preservation systems, it does something they don't. It works. Learn more about the Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. GrapeEncounters.com. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. If I could make my dreams into Grape Encounters Radio, and if you're a regular listener to the show, you know that my favorite story of 2015 was the story of a top film executive with Disney that became a winemaker after listening several years ago to an episode of Grape Encounters Radio. And I want to tell you that I am now very familiar with both the winemaker and his wines. And this is no Mickey Mouse operation, though not a big one. He is making very big wines, and he is making very big headway in the wine business. On the line with me, Gil Gagnon of Gagnon Cell. 
callers. Hey, Gil. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, what a pleasure to have you. I uh, actually heard a little news about you through the grapevine, (laughs) no pun intended, that you had taken on a project and you hadn't even told me about it, that you went ahead and started planting your own grapes. Well, you know, I think it it follows suit because if you remember, and I, you know, I actually looked back and it was six years ago you did that episode, you and Wes Hagen, about you two can be a winemaker and to do that. And I guess unbeknownst to you, I took your advice and went off and did that. And then one of the other things I know Wes mentions in there, basically saying, no, you don't need to plant the vineyards. Don't do that. But anyways, uh, I decided to uh, ignore Wes's comment on that. uh, But uh, go ahead and jump in. And here we just planted a vineyard here. I I don't think that many people People really realize that, and I'm going to just go out on a limb and say this, that the lion's share of winemakers probably don't grow their own grapes. No, I know, and it's it's something that, again, I think for me, this is just a small part. It's a small one-acre vineyard, and it's just part of the process. And it's, you know, I wanted to, again, continue to develop and learn, and, and I'm passionate about all the things I do, and so you should have seen the things I went through just, uh, you know, putting this vineyard in. But... Uh, what an awesome experience. So I hear you have bruised fingers. Oh, my God. They're black and blue, and it's crazy, the amount, the amount of uh, work. But the, the truth is I kind of put that passion into everything I do, and yeah. so it just is no different. So let's uh, just kind of bring people up to speed for a second. You were with Disney, and uh, talk a little bit about what you were doing with Disney. You were a VP over there. Yeah, I was a vice, produ- uh, vice president of post-production services, so we kind of say that it's, it's everything it takes to make your movie or TV show from the minute the director yells cut and so lots of technical creative different types of crafts that are all involved with that as well as i oversaw a visual effects and animation company uh, in hong kong that disney owned so you name it i had my hands all over the place with uh, lots of, of things but i think that's how why it was such a, an easy transition really uh if i can actually say that into when i dove into this whole winemaking and and even now as i look it into the vineyard uh planting and everything it's i i draw from all of those uh traits and everything that i had from the filmmaking process you make movies one frame at a time and you have to be so precise and and same thing as i went and planted this vineyard you want everything to be exact you want to duplicate it you know in this case one acre 900 times i want them all to be the same wow Uh, let's do a little name dropping for a second some of the films that you've had the privilege to work on well over the course of time you know basically it's every Disney movie from 2000 through 2011. So you're talking about some of the, you know, quote, biggest movies of all time. We have the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, and you have uh, lots of uh, animated movies that Disney did. But all the, we also worked on all of the Pixar movies, which are a lot of my favorites. It's, it's hard to, you know, even recall. I want to say it's it's a good, you know, it's hundreds and hundreds of Disney movies uh, wow. during that time period. Plus. Probably a total of, after 25 years, uh, probably worked on about 600 movies. So what is it that is the common denominator or common denominators between making movies and making wine? For starters, you have to be passionate about it because none of it's easy. It's, whether you're making movies or wine or any, it's you're up at the crack of dawn. You're still up in the wee hours of, of you know the morning. You work on very little sleep, and you have to pay attention to every single detail. And if you know it can be done better, 
you do not do it any other way. You have to do it because wow. when you when I look at it and I put my head on the pillow at night, I need to know that I did the best job that I possibly could. And if I knew it could have been done better, then I, I'm never going to let go of that. We'll either do it again or we'll just make sure we got it right, you know, the first time okay, around. Okay, but it, it raises an interesting question because if you're making a movie and you have not yet put the movie to bed, you can go back and fix something. Why you often no longer have the opportunity to go back and fix something because once it's done, it's done. You're, you're absolutely right. That's the one thing that I will say is not, uh, you know, the same, because I tell people when it comes to wine, there is no director's cut. You know, the director's cut in the movie, when you, you know, buy a Blu-ray or DVD, you'll see, oh, this is the director's cut. Well, for whatever reason, it's different than the one you saw in the movie theater. Well, they have that opportunity to do that, and you're you're 100% correct. You don't have that opportunity in wine. When you bottle it and you stick that cork in, you're done. All right. We're talking to Gil Gagnon. He was a top executive at Disney and listened to an episode of Grape Encounters, and I am responsible for ruining his life, probably, (laughs) (laughs) making a good living and now doing one of the jobs that probably is one of the most thankless things that you can do, because they say if you want to make a million dollars in winemaking, you invest five million, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Very quickly, you have been in some competitions recently, and I don't want to overlook the opportunity opportunity to let you toot your own horn because man you've been knocking it out of the park baby well thanks thanks that was uh, awesome and you know throughout the movie uh, career it was always fun and exciting when maybe we won oscars or won e- emmy awards and those kind of things and obviously those are super super exciting times but i gotta tell you this is so personal right when you get that notice that your wine has won a gold medal or any medals at all in, right. in these wine competitions, especially when uh, you're as small as, as we are and you're up against the biggest names in the business. You got 20 seconds. Where did you get medals? Uh, we uh, entered in three competitions, which is was the San Diego Wine Challenge, the Los Angeles International Wine uh, Competition, as well as the Orange County Wine Society. We won uh, golds for, you know, our our red blend, which was something that you pointed, uh, you, picked, you picked that out a year Ago. Yummy, licious. I said that was going to be a gold medal winner. And you were right. Okay, for those who would be interested in trying your wines or buying your wines, uh, where do we send them? You can go to our website, which is Ganyan Cellars, G-A-G-N-O-N-C-E-L-L-A-R-S, Cellars, or you can buy it off Amazon. All right, if you forget that, you just have to remember GrapeEncounters.com, and we'll have a link posted there as well. Gil, I'm proud of you. Thank you, David. All right, we're going to call it quits for Grape Encounters today. We'll be back here next week. Same time, same channel. And if you get a chance, try those Ganyan wines. They are absolutely yummalicious, and I'm not kidding. We'll see you next week.